for what God has for me. Now look at your other neighbor that you just turned your back on, and they're like mad at you because you turned your back on them, and say, I'm ready for what God has for me. And you can be seated. That's the, that's the loudest amen I've heard. He said, we can, be, we can sit down. You're not going to be seated long because I believe, in fact, you need to get on the edge of your seat because God's going to have you up in a few minutes. You're going to be shouting. Y'all going to look all Pentecostal or something in a few minutes. <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn with me to the narrative that will become our learning lab today, which is Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 33 or so. And while you're turning there, welcome to week number two of the series, Strange Encounters. Let me just go ahead and throw this out there. This, this message today is fluid. It, it's changed all week long. I mean, it's changed all the way up through the first service. I was like preaching stuff that I, I was like, well, that's got to be God because I'm, I'm like lost God. This is you. But we're just going to go where God is going to take us today. Amen. Strange Encounters. Look at your neighbor and say, Strange Encounters. In this series, we're looking at these strange conversations that Jesus had. Some of the awkward things that Jesus did. Some of the things that he said throughout his ministry that it's just, what? You know, when we begin to think about Jesus, we, we tend to when we're thinking about his character, we sanitize Jesus down to a level in which we're comfortable with. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We want to talk about that meek and mild Jesus, that, 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 that he's an ever-present help kind of Savior, that, that Jesus that says, come unto me, all of you who are tired, and I'm going to give you a seely posturepedic rest. We want to talk about that Jesus that says, I've come so that you may have life and have that life more abundantly. That's the Jesus we want to talk about. But you know what? Jesus did say all of those things, and he is all of those things. But Jesus also said some controversial things. He said some strange things, some awkward things, some things that make you go, Jesus, what? I mean, like one time he rolled up in a group of religious leaders, and he said, you brood of vipers. I have never seen that statement on a bumper sticker. <laughs> he rolled up in, into, into the temple one day, all gangster-like. He was fashioning a whip outside of the temple. The, the, the Bible says that he took the time to put the whip together. Then he takes the whip all up inside the temple. He turns tables over. He's whipping people, telling them, you better get out of here and don't come back because there's more where that came from. And then Jesus, one time, he told his closest disciple, in fact, he called him, he said, Satan. In fact, let's look at that exchange today. Look with me at Mark chapter 8. Let's just, for the sake of time, we're going to again skip down to verse 27. Verse 27. Here's Jesus and all of his disciples. They're just walking from village to village, just enjoying life, talking about the ministry. It's this casual conversation and Jesus says his and his disciples they went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi on the way he asked them who do people say that I am someone look at your neighbor and give to them the title of today's message who do they say I am 
Who do you say I am? It's a casual conversation. Jesus is not asking this question because he doesn't know who he is. He's not even asking this question because he has some twisted dependence upon the approval of others. You know how we are, James. We post something on Facebook and we go back hours later just to see if somebody approved. Let's see how many likes we got. When we don't have all the likes that we thought we should have, we get all angry talking about, I always like her stuff. I always repent her stuff. She don't ever repent my stuff. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So here is Jesus saying, who, who, who do you, you say that I am? And, and, and so look what happens. It says, they replied, some say you're, you're John the Baptist. And listen, he's not asking this question just to be asking it. it there's a follow-up question. This is a teaching point. He says, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and still others say that you're one of the prophets. You see, John the Baptist and Elijah were national reformists. And the people of Israel were looking for a political messiah. Ronnie, they wanted a political messiah that would come in and free them from their oppression politically. But here, Jesus says, who do... You say, so there's some say you're John the Baptist because he's a national reformist, and some say you're Elijah. But 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 then Jesus wanted to know, he wanted to know what the disciples thought. So so look what he says. He says, well, but but what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. He says, hold on a second. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? He wanted to know what the belief system was for the disciples. Someone say belief system. Look at your neighbor and say belief system. Look at your other neighbor and say he wanted to know about their BS. Their Y'all just crazy now. Man. Come on. He wanted to know about their belief system here and come back Holy Spirit. Come back. So Peter, he answers, he says, you know what? You're, you're the Messiah. <laughs> you're the Messiah. You're the first, the last, the beginning, the end, the Lamb of God. You're more than a national reformist. You're more than a prophet. You're more than just a miracle worker. You're the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Every book in the Bible points towards you. You are the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. You are my Redeemer, my Healer, my Savior. You are God in the flesh who dwelt among us. Somebody give him praise. I got my holler back crowd in the back back there. Woo, yeah. But hold on a second. Because watch what happens next. Verse 31, that's who Jesus is. I feel like I can start preaching, but I don't need to start preaching yet because I need to show you this. It says, then he began to teach them. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and after three days he'll rise again. And he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter grabs Jesus and said, uh-uh, homie, you coming with me. 
Now, hang on a second, because here is Jesus giving us his mission. He's saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. The mission is that I'm coming to suffer. I'm coming to die. Well, if you thought that Jesus was a political Messiah, you didn't want to hear that your political Messiah was about to die because he was supposed to end suffering, not come to suffer. But yet here's Peter, and this is what I love about this gospel. Peter is telling the story through Mark's pen. And Peter recounts for us this this conversation that has now become public. Peter is rebuking Jesus, and now Jesus is about to rebuke Peter. But Peter unknowingly is speaking on behalf of Satan. It was not that he meant to. He, he had this loving attempt. You're not supposed to suffer. But it was really because Peter was mixed up. So look what happens. Jesus says this. Pick it up. It says, um, verse 33, it says, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciple, he rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> he said, get behind me, Satan. This was not a very friendly conversation at this moment. Here, Peter had been critiquing the message of Jesus, and Peter comes and says, no, oh, no, 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 that's not who you are. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. It would almost be like you coming up to me after church saying, I ain't like your message. Well, no good. I think you joke, jokes are lame. They're just lame. I'm telling you, your jokes are lame. And I'd be like, get behind me, Satan. Don't be going to work tomorrow trying that. Your boss says, here's, here's something you got to do. And you're like, ah, get behind me, Satan. It won't work. But here was Peter unknowingly speaking for the enemy. And Jesus gave him some clarification. Look what he says. He says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. It's as if Jesus is saying to him, you haven't rejected God, but what you have done is you've taken your mind off of the things of God and you've placed it on the things of men. Can I teach for a minute? Because I think that in order for us to have a greater context, thank you, Dean, in order for us to have a greater context for for this passage of scripture, we need to digress some in this chapter. Because chapter 8 is really strange encounter after strange encounter after strange encounter. There's all kinds of strange stuff happening with Jesus in this passage of scripture. And it all culminates in verse 33 when he looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. So when we back up and we begin to read this chapter, what we see is that Jesus is trying to tell the reader who he is and what he does. When you look at verse 11, let's back all the way up to verse 11. What you have is Jesus has just fed the 4,000 people. He's just fed them. And then a group of Pharisees come up to Jesus, and the Bible says that they begin to test Jesus. Look at verse 11. Let me show you something. Verse 11, it says, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. Someone circle that, test him. Someone look at your neighbor and say, test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. And Jesus, it says, he just sighed deeply. <sighs> Somebody give me a sigh. 
Yeah, the guy beside of you said, here's some gum. (laughs) Yeah, I'm here all week. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Mm. Hold on a second. So they ask for a sign. This is not a friendly encounter. They're asking Jesus for a sign. It says that they're testing Jesus. The word test is the same Greek word that is used for tempt. When Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and it says the enemy came to tempt him. In other words, they're here testing Jesus the same way the enemy tested Jesus for 40 days. They're not wanting another miracle. Grab this. They're not wanting another miracle. They're wanting a sign from heaven that he is who he says he is. What they're wanting is an Elijah-type experience where he calls down fire from heaven. And so when they come to Jesus and they say, give us a sign, he says, why does this generation always need a sign? He says, I ain't going to do it. That's what he says. Read it. He says, I ain't doing it. Why does this generation always need a sign? Can I tell you something? Jesus doesn't do miracles in order to convince or to prove something to unbelievers. Jesus does miracles in order to prove the power of God in the context of mercy. Mm, Grab that. Jesus does miracles in order to prove the power of God in the context of mercy. He says, why does this generation always need a sign? Always need a sign. Why does this generation all why does this why 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 does this generation always need a sign? The more that I read that, I know he's talking to a generation from 2000 years ago, but he's also talking to this generation. Because there's not a whole lot of difference between us and them. We're always looking for a sign. God, give me a sign that you hear me. Give me a sign that you're with me. Give me a sign, God. Give me a sign, God. I need a, a sign. And so our faith many times is built around whether or not we receive a sign from God. Jesus told them, he said, I'm, this generation always needs a sign. I'm not going to do it. The Holy Spirit dropped something in my spirit. When our faith is built around a sign, that means that our faith is misplaced. That means that our faith is placed upon the things that we see. So what happens when you ask for a sign, but you don't get the sign? What happens to your faith? What happens to your faith when you're asking God for a sign, but yet you don't get a sign? You see, if your faith is built upon the sign and you don't receive the sign, what happens to your faith? Here's what the Holy Spirit dropped in my lap. Many times, the sign, we'll call the sign whatever you want to label it. The sign, the blessing, the gift, the sign, whatever. Whatever you want to label it. Many times... We tend to serve the thing that God gave us rather than worship the God who gave it to us. Darren, we can close it up and go home with that. Because uh, that that just pertains to every last one of us. Many times we, we serve the thing that God gave to us rather than worshiping the God who gave it to us. We do it with our jobs. We do it with our houses. We do it with this. We do it with that. 
Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign. What, what happens when you're looking for a sign, but yet God doesn't give you the sign? Then all of a sudden, your faith begins to wane, and you're like, okay, I'm going to convince myself everything's going to be okay, but because your faith is shallow, you didn't get the sign that you thought that you would get, and then therefore, because you didn't get that sign, your faith, hmm, let me say it this way, when a test comes, when your faith is built upon a sign, when a test comes, your faith leaves. Grab it. When your faith is built on the sign, when the test comes, your faith leaves. Think about this with me for, for a moment. Remember Jesus? We talked about him last week in the, when he was baptized. and He was going into his ministry, and he goes to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist baptizes him. He says, baptize me, John. And so John takes him down into the the Jordan River, and when he comes up, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And the voice of God said, This is my son, whom I love and I'm pleased with. So just as soon as he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and then he says, This is my son. And then if you continue to read, it says, and then the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, led him into the desert. Hold on a second. It says the Spirit of God led him into the desert. He was tested in the desert. That's where the enemy tested him for 40 days. This is going to clean up some of your theology because some of you think just because God is with you, that means that you will never face adversity. Hold on a second. It says the spirit of the Lord led Jesus into the desert. That means God knew he was about to be tested. Some of you think, well, if you have salvation, that just means that the path should be the, 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 the easiest path, the path of least resistance. Listen, that is not the case. Don't you remember? Here is Jesus being tested in the desert and the spirit of the Lord led him there. Even Jesus told the disciples, go across to the other side of the lake. And when they got halfway across, a furious storm blew up. What I'm trying to say to you is if a sign is something that builds your faith, and that's the only thing that builds your faith, what are you going to do when you do not get a sign? What's going to happen is your faith is going to begin to leave you because you're worshiping God for what he can do rather than who he is. And when you begin to worship God for what he can do rather than who he is, you begin to see God like he's a retail center and you're a consumer and all you want to do is take, take, take and the tragedy of that thought process is that you don't even know who God is but now you don't even know who you are in God. Lord have mercy. Jesus knew who he was. The Bible says the enemy came to Jesus and said Give me a sign. He said, turn that stone into bread because I know you're hungry. And Jesus is like, man, you, I don't have to prove anything to you. He said, I don't have to prove anything to you. It is written that man does not live by bread alone. Hello? He said, I don't have to prove anything. Thing to you. It's, 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 not, it, it's not something that I have to do. You see, when you know who you are in God, you won't have to prove anything to anyone. Can I tell you something? What you do 
is not what brings you value. What other people say about you is not what devalues you. Lord help me. What you do is not what values you. It's God who brings value into your life. Lord have mercy. But if you live your life, if you live your life constantly by the sign, then what happens when you don't see the sign? What happens when God doesn't give you the sign? If you are living your faith according to the sign, then what you are focused, I'm going to free somebody up. Then what you have to feel like you have to do all the time is prove something to someone. So you're posting stuff on Facebook trying to prove something. What I'm trying to say to you is that you don't have to do that when you know that God has already approved of who you are because he's the one that brings value into your life. And when you're focused upon the sign, you begin to focus upon what you don't have. And when you focus on what you don't have, you lose sight of who has you. Lord have mercy. That's why God, listen, that's why Jesus looked at Peter and said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, oh, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're going to end suffering. And Jesus said, I'm not here to end the suffering. I'm here to carry you through the suffering. I'm not here to take, just end your pain. I'm here to change the meaning of your pain. You know this? This is why Peter was able to write later on that God, the God of all grace, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself reach down and restore you. Who do you say that I am, Peter? He said, I'm not here to end the suffering. I'm here to save you through your suffering. I'm not here to end your pain, per se. I'm here to change the meaning of it, to redeem your pain. Then, verses 14 and following. Are you with me? Somebody say, I'm with you. Verses 14 and following, it gets even stranger. It says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for the one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? He's talking about the spiritual blindness. He was just talking about spiritual blindness with the Pharisees. Now he's talking about spiritual blindness with, with the disciples. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember it says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? They said, we picked up 12. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, we picked up seven. He said, then do you still not understand? Do you still not grab this? Do, do you still, listen, here, here's what's happening. You, you, you have to see it this way. They're, they're walking along and they're getting hungry. And when they're getting hungry, they're like, okay, hold on a second. Peter's like, hey, Andrew, where's that bread that we just left over over here from this big miracle we just had? Because I'm getting hungry. I need some of that bread. 
I'm just telling you, man, my stomach's growling, Andrew. Where, where's, that, where's that bread at, man? I need to pass me a loaf of that bread. And Andrew's like, well, I'm going to tell you what. All I got was one loaf. You should have got your own loaf. It was all left over sitting on the hillside. I grabbed one loaf. All I grabbed is one loaf. That's your fault, Peter. You're hungry. I got this bread. I'm just telling you. And Thomas is like, y'all better, y'all better stop all that. And Peter's like, man, you better shut up. I'm just telling you right now, I want that piece of bread. You better give me a piece of that bread right now. I'm just telling you. And just like, I'm telling you, you should have got your own bread. You should have got it. I told Jesus, I told him to pick up a loaf of that bread, but he didn't, he didn't pick up that bread. And I told him, to, and Thomas is like, well, I'm going to tell you what, guys. I, I doubt that it's fresh anyway. <laughs> oh, Lord. And they call this preaching, man. This is just having fun right here. And Jesus is like, you know, they're arguing over bread. Hold on a second. And Jesus says, hold on, hold on a second. Let me find this. Jesus says, do you still not understand? Do you not remember what I just did? <laughs> They're arguing over bread, which was the sign. So Jesus says this to him. He says, he says be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were just looking for a sign. Now here they are arguing about a sign. Give me some of that bread. They're talking about the sign, the bread, when the bread of life is right there with them. They've already forgotten all that he's done. Give me a sign. Give me a sign. And Jesus is like, man, listen, you are, you are complaining about something that doesn't even matter with eternity. It's like if you go home this afternoon and you go through your bills and you find out that your spouse didn't pay a bill from two weeks ago and you blow all up. Get behind me, Satan. Don't do it. Or you go to work tomorrow. You go to work tomorrow and, and, and your boss gives you an assignment and, 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 and it just flips you out. You know what? So many times we are worried about, we fight about, we argue over, we're bent out of shape over things that really don't matter when it comes to eternity. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, don't anyone go home and say, Pastor said you ain't got to pay your bills. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you live your faith uh, uh, according to a sign, when you don't receive the sign, what happens you're so focused on what, what's missing, what you don't have. You're arguing over things that don't even matter when it comes to eternity that you've lost focus of who has you. It happens in our relationships. We, we put our trust in our relationships, and when our relationships don't work out the way that we thought, we lose hope. We put our trust in our finances, and when our finances get all squirrely, we lose hope. But we shouldn't place our hope in resources. We should place our hope in the source because, Lord, the Bible says, where do I look? I look to the hills from where does my help come? I feel like preaching now. Who do you say I am when you forgot the bread? Who do you say I am when you can't figure things out? Who do you say I am when you can't make a way? Who do you say I am when your money gets all funny? Who do you say I am? Listen, don't forget. You're not alone because I am with you. Don't forget. You may be pressed but not crushed. You may be persecuted but not abandoned. You may be struck 
down but not destroyed. Somebody get up on your feet. You may feel weak, but he is strong. You may feel poor, but he is rich. It's not about the bread of life or the bread in life. It's about the bread of life. It's not whether or not you have bread. The sign it's about whether or not the bread of life is with you. Somebody's about to get a breakthrough up in this place. So, so just stay on your feet. I'm going to close in just a second. Will you give me, will you give me a few seconds? Somebody on the front said, take your time. I'm not sure she speaks for everybody, but somebody in the back said, I'm going to the buffet. He's talking about spiritual blindness with, with the Pharisees, with the disciples. And then look what happens next. Hold on a second. Look what happens next. Look at verse 22. Verse 20, yeah, verse 22. He says, they came to Bethesda, and some people brought to him a blind man. Oh, he's about to give a physical illustration that will ultimately prove this spiritual thought that he's been trying to get into the disciples. He, he says, they brought to Jesus a blind man and they begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village and when he had spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him and Jesus asked, do you see anything? Verse 24 he looked up and said, I, I, I see people. They look like they look like trees. He couldn't focus. He said, I, I see some people. Once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. You know, theologians are kind of all over this place, all over the place, I should say, when it comes to this passage of Scripture. Because they're like, why did it take Jesus two times to, to heal this guy? When I think we're focusing on the wrong thing. All throughout this passage of Scripture, he's trying to show who he is. He's talking about spiritual blindness to the Pharisees, to the disciples, and now he's illustrating that spiritual concept physically. He puts his hands on the guy's eyes for the first time. What do you see? Well, I, well, I see a little bit. You see, the disciples saw a little bit. The Pharisees saw a little bit. But then he put his hands upon the man's eyes again, and now he could see. You see, that's how he could say, who do you say I am? And they said, oh, I know who you are. You're the savior of the world. You're the miracle working Jesus. You're the first, the last, the beginning, the end, the lamb of God, the lion of Judah, the alpha, the omega, my redeemer, my deliverer, my healer, the one who sets me free. You are my hope. You're a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Is anybody else going to help me preach up in this place? But hold on for a second. He says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. 
But then he says, hold on a second, Jesus. You can't suffer because you have to end suffering. And Jesus says to him, you need to get behind me, Satan. You see, the reason why he had to say this to Peter is because Peter is still seeing Jesus for what he wanted him to do rather than worshiping him for who he is. And when you see Jesus, your faith is built on Jesus based upon what he can do and basically Jesus is nothing more than a retail center and you're the consumer that causes you to miss who Jesus is and therefore you miss who you are in God who do you say I am Jesus asked who do you say same question that Jesus is asking you today. Who do you say I am? In your pain, who do you say I am? In your sorrow, who do you say I am? When you forgot to bring the bread, who do you say I am? When your job is driving you nuts, who do you say I am? When your kids are getting on your nerves, who do you say that I am? When you feel lonely, who do you say that I am? When you can't figure out a way, who do you say that I am? With every head bowed and every eye closed.